three, two, one. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday, where we talk to friends, clients, and sometimes strangers, in this case, a virtual friend, about how failure has shaped them as a professional in their personal life and how it's just pushed them forward and made them a doper person how they've shown up in life. And today we have Dave Ball, funny story. I only know Dave from Instagram and I never really was sure of his first name. And I asked him cause he came in, he signed up for the podcast under David, came in as Dave. And I go, which one do you want to go by? And he was like, most people call me Steve. So we're going to go with Dave for this. Uh, Dave is a home ownership advocate by definition, a mortgage underwriter, but just like my profession, there's one of us on every corner. There's definitely something different about you, Dave. So why don't you just kind of take a moment and tell us how you got into your career choice and how you started delivering massive value on social media. All right, so it's a it's a um, interesting story how I got into the exciting world of mortgage guidelines. So <laughs> uh, I think like a lot of folks when I, so a lot of folks, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I when uh, I graduated high school. So I was like, huh. Oh, so in about the 11th grade, I was like, huh, college costs money, that's I think it does. And <laughs> yeah. so I was like, man, I want to try to go somewhere for free. And so I was applying, I, I was applying for scholarships. And so I got a um, full ride, so Florida A&M, uh, in like at the 11th grade. But then my parents, so I lived in, in Maryland. And so my parents- in the 11th grade? Yeah, yeah, and so Damn. my my parents were like, "Hey, you should check out the school called the uh, the Naval Academy. It's right up down the street. It's, it's like a half an hour away in Annapolis." I was like, "Yeah, military. I don't want nothing to do with that." Um, and then so they had like this this week. They had like this seminar where it was like you, you go there for a week to check out the school, and it was dirty. You know, it was a week, so it was Monday through Friday. So I was like, "Huh, I can have a week off of school if I just go visit this." Um, the school, okay, I, I'm in. And so I was like, oh, I see, it seems cool, but I, I got no interest in the military. But um, 12th grade, when it was a time to apply for, for schools and all this, for whatever reason, my uh, wealth of a guidance counselor never submitted my paperwork to Florida A&M. Like he had to like send something back to Florida A&M to, um, to get the scholarship taken care of, to get it finalized. So he never sent that paperwork off to Florida A&M. Oh, no. So like my, my only option was like, oh, um, to go, so I only applied, once I got to Florida A&M, I stopped really applying to schools. So I was like, oh, it's, it's free. And so my only other option was to, to go to the, the Naval Academy, which luckily I got into that to that too. And so I went I went to the, the Naval Academy. I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, got a degree in econ. So once you graduate from there, um, in order to pay, so it's free, I'm doing air quotes. Um, you pay back your tuition by serving in the, the military. So I did, I did five years in the military. I still didn't know what I wanted to do um, by that time. And so I know I wanted to work with people though. I was like, oh, I like, I like kind of hang with people. And so I was like, huh, I want to get a job in logistics. And so I ended up getting a job uh, in Memphis um, working in the logistics department for Sears. Um, and uh, it was an interesting experience. I, um, I had that job for like like eight months. I was in the uh, I was doing like uh, their transportation part. Um, I can get into if you want to, but I ended up quitting 
um, just because I got into the situation where I was almost gonna um, punch, apparently punch one of my coworkers in, in the face. What? It was like, it was like um, um, my manager was like, "Hey, you know, you can quit or get fired." One of those two. So I just, I just quit. I was like, "This is BS," but I'm not gonna deal with this nonsense. All right, Dave, 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 Dave. Pause. We're not just gonna gloss over that. That's not. That's not gonna happen. Okay. So I falsely, ignorantly assumed that when you said logistics, that means you're driving trucks. Oh no. So, so I was managing the people that, that drive the trucks. So like um, the, the drivers need to have, pick a route. And so I was setting up the routes for the people. So um, determining the routes, doing customer service, but just, just the plane, like for any operational business where they're delivering products, like logistics is your biggest, biggest expense. You know, you think trucks, gas, drivers and all that. Um, yeah, that's typically your big, biggest expense, like in a in an operational type type business. So yeah, I was I was running that that side of the house. And how did you get into a fight with your manager? All right, so um, so I lived in Memphis, Tennessee. I worked across the border in Olive Branch, Mississippi. It's um, it's an area of the everybody's got the stereotypes in Mississippi. Um, some of them are true. But it, it's an area of the country where there's just not a lot of opportunities and not a lot of well-educated folks. So literally in the warehouse I was working, there were um, people who literally could not even write their own name. Like it's the, when there was time to sign their name, they would just write an X. And so, oh and, and so you know, a lot of people in that in that that uh, that warehouse are kind of, or not a lot of people. So the people that were in management positions in the warehouses. They kind of like work this stuff up from the forklift to management position. And here was I, some 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 young buck um, that had graduated college. Uh, you made this thing I fresh out of college. I was like, I was in the, the military for five years. Um, but I was like, they just look at me as some young buck that was just fresh out of college. Who could in. write his name? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> no, no, I spell his name. And so, and now he was in like this management position where people had been in the, the same warehouse for 50 years. So honestly, it was a little bit of, a little bit of jealousy. And so one day, um it was like it was like the end of the day and somebody in the one of the workers in the warehouse um he was a supervisor so he was like under me but he was one of the people that you know kind of kind of kind of came up um and so he'd been there like two years so i think he's a little bit jealous of me too and so he said something to me i can't remember what he said to me but i was like man it got me a little bit heated and so i was like and so like i know i have a little bit of a temper i like to, i'm either at a zero or like at a hundred i don't really have in between so i was like man i, I I want to fight this dude. I, I know, I know it's about to happen. And so I was like, I, I know what I need to do. I'm going to call, I'm like, just to calm myself down, I'm going to call one of my coworkers, like one of my peers. And so I called the guy and was like, man, um, and it was, it was like his, one of his workers. I was like, man, you need to get your, your guy, blah, blah, blah. Like he keeps talking. Like, I, I was like, I'm going to knock him out or something like this. And then so, but you know, just venting to a coworker, trying to, trying to alleviate the situation, trying to, just trying to calm myself down. And so, but this dude, instead of being, just being, you know, just being like, hey, this is another coworker, you know, he did the right thing, called me. What he did was he went to the manager and was like, hey, um, one of our employees just threatened a, another guy. Like, I, I didn't say anything to the actual dude. I just said the thing to him. But he's like, oh, he made, he drummed up this whole thing about, hey, um, he's threatening another employee and blah, blah, blah. And I was just oh, like, oh, wow. Like you, 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 you loser. So my manager was cool. With loser. Hey man, you know, it's, it's two sides of the story, but you got the, the manager who was kind of um, engaging a little bit hyperbole. You got the other um, worker supervisor who was, who had these two stories. Then it was me. And so it's like, Hey, you can either kind of, uh, I'm going to give the opportunity to quit or you can be like, um, 
fired. And so I was like, eh, what do I want to do here? Let me just leave the shop. Like, I don't, it's, it's not even that, that important. I'm just going to, going to leave. And I'm just like, hey, I'll, I'll see what else is out there. And so, um, once again, I was, I was in Memphis. I knew nobody in the whole state of, of Tennessee. Like, my whole family's back in D.C. And so I just quit the job. And I was like, man, um, I don't got a job right now. What am I going to do? And so I was, like, unemployed for, like, four four or so months. Um, but here, here's an important lesson, everybody out there, especially when you're young and in your uh, 20s and you can do it, always live super cheaply. Like, one, the one smart thing I did was I got the cheapest apartment in the area I could find. It was, like, $650. Um, was, was my apartment. So like I had money saved up. I went, I ate at Little Caesars every day, $5 pizza. That was my meal. So I spent $5 a day on food. Um, I ate Little Caesars Monday through Friday for like four months. Um, and so, and so I eventually got a, um, a logistics job with J.B. Hunt here in, in Dallas. And so everything went, went cool. And I worked at that company for like, for like four years. I worked my way up from like a small um, account with four trucks in, in uh, Mineola, Texas, about 90 minutes east of Dallas, up until an, an account that was um, managing all the jack-in-the-boxes like in Texas, Oklahoma, uh, uh, and New Mexico, and some in Louisiana. So from like four trucks to like 120 trucks. And then I was at a certain part where I was just like, eh, um, I guess this is cold, but there's some other stuff out there. And so I was like, I want a new job. And then so I went to my, my school, host a job there every um, once a quarter. And so I, I went to, to the job fair, I, put, I submitted my application to the job fair. And so the, the job the job fair is on Saturday. If a company really likes you, they'll try to invite you to this party, recruitment thing party on, on Friday. Um, so you don't even go to the job fair, they can just sign you there. And so one of the companies, so two, a couple companies reached out to me. Amazon was one of them, everybody knows Amazon. And so I was like, oh, Amazon, that'd be cool to work for them. And so they're like, yeah, come to our Friday night uh, party. Oh, or not party for <laughs> recruitment fair. Um, and so when they, they try to sign this, they don't go to the Amazon. visual I get when you say like party for Amazon is probably nothing like how it was, but. Well, like, like, uh, how, well I'll get to how that, that, that party was because uh, <laughs> I did not even see what the party looked like. I guess it's, it's a clandestine party. And so this other party that, uh, or this other, um, this other company that called me was a mortgage company. I was like, I had no interest. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a super, uh, whether or not it's like a super introvert, um, I'm not into sales, but I'm into, I love real estate. I love um, financing or I love like econ and numbers. And I love, I love education. So I was like, huh, um, I'm gonna go to Amazon. Not this, uh, not this real estate company. But that Friday night, um, I went to the hotel for the Amazon party. And it was, it was like a big, big hotel. And I could not, there were like no signs. Like I could not find this party. Like I walked around the hotel, like, it, I just kept walking around like I couldn't find it. And so I kept walking by the, the mortgage um, thing. I just kept walking by the door and I was just like, okay, I'm here. Let me go see what this mortgage company is talking about. And um, I walked in there and I was like, man, this is a pretty cool job. Uh, and then so um, that, that's how I got into the mortgage industry is I literally could not find the, uh, the Amazon recruit, recruitment party. And I just got, you got lost. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I just fell into the industry, literally. Um, so um, I guess as they say, the rest is... The rest is history. So, but yeah, just literally by, by accident is how I got into the industry. So, so how many years ago was that? Um, so six, six years, something like that. Yeah, six years, I think. And at what point did you birth this coins and culture brand? Obviously, those two that's connected to your experience in mortgage underwriting. Yeah, and so 
so I kind of had a, I had a brand before this. And so one thing, one thing with the so let me let me jump into my mortgage career. So I started in my first job. Um, I was there for like four months, and then my uh, my my I was trying to get a mortgage with my own company, and so. Um, my wife was trying to call and do something, and my manager just said something. Um, something he wasn't—he wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but he was disrespectful. And so I was like, uh, "All right, so I need to get a new, new job because I can't be at this company where uh, the manager uh, is talking, talking slick to my my, my wife." He generally—I think he was busy, but he just said the wrong thing. And so I was mm -hmm. like, "Oh, let me find another company." And then so this whole time, like Wells Fargo had been reaching out to me. Um, just via LinkedIn to try to recruit me, and so I was like, "Okay, let me go check out Wells Fargo." Literally the three days after I came on, so you can kind of date how long I've been in the industry. So yeah, about six years. Three days after I signed on with Wells Fargo is when that that whole thing broke about them with the fake accounts and all, and all that, which I think was about six years ago. And so mm -hmm. I was like, man, what what timing? Like my first time. What timing? It's like with all this bad news comes out, and so like being a loan officer is like a sales job and so you're trying to call people and they hear Wells Fargo and it's just like oh, I don't want to deal with that I don't want my clients doing this and that and so at that point in time I kind of dawned on me it's like I gotta separate myself from the company like I gotta build my own company because I can't I can't I can't be responsible for some random people are doing in California you know um making fake accounts I got nothing to do with me if people just hear Wells Fargo they don't hear my name so I was like I need to start branding myself and then two one thing a lot of loan officers get, get trapped in is um, when someone thinks of buying a home, they think of let me call a realtor. Very rarely does someone think of let me call a loan officer. So realtors are like the, the funnel for the mortgage process. So I was like, mm -hmm. I need to flip this funnel around and that's come to me. How can I do that? And so I developed this um, this interview show on Facebook. It was called Drew Television. It was Dallas Real Estate Entrepreneurship and whatever else, that was the W, was the name of this, this show I used to do on, on, on Facebook. And so it was very That's clever. super so cool, a, though. Yeah, so I would tip my cap to myself as it was a very clever idea. Because what it I was. would do, it was, it was easier for me to reach out to realtors because I'd be like, hey, could you come on my real estate show? And I get to interview you and talk about how great you are. And then I post it on Facebook. And then I tag you on Facebook. And then, and that's, so that was like a way for me to build my brand. And I did that for like... Um, six months it was it was like very grueling because this is before like zoom and all that so i would actually have to go out and travel and like actually um drive and meet these people um it took up a lot of time but it helped me kind of kind of build my name and make and make connections that, so that's kind of the first time where i was like hey i need to start branding myself and then um um part two was during the the pandemic you know just kind of like kind of like sitting around was like there's not much to do so at that point i got i got off facebook like i'm not on social media at all like i i, I use social media for what i needed to use it for um and so i i didn't really have a, i had a facebook but it's dead i did i wasn't on instagram i wasn't on no social media and so you know you work from home during the pandemic and i'm just like okay let me get on instagram and see what's going on and so i'm just kind of scrolling through instagram and so you know instagram you know they, they listen to you and all that so you kind of find stuff that you're, you're into so i'll come across all this this real estate stuff and i'll be like Man, that's not that's not right. I guess that's not correct either. Like, eh, that's a little bit fluff. I don't think that's right. So I was seeing all this incorrect stuff online, um, and people like a lot of following. It's like this this is not correct at all. And so I was just like, um, hey, let me start putting out some um, some content that's correct. And so you probably would think, hey, I, I thought to myself I should put out real estate content, but no, for some reason I came upon the idea 
uh, let me become one of these a finance guru too. Let me just start putting out stock market. I don't know what my what was going on in my brain, but I was like, let me start putting out stock market tips and all this stuff that has nothing to do with my industry. Just kind of like the, I saw also doing the exact same thing to people that didn't know about real estate who were putting out real estate topics. I started doing that exact same thing for some reason with, um, with finance. I don't know like what was going on. And so- Yeah, I definitely find, I come across that stuff all the time and I almost get jealous of those people because they're not licensed. Like if I were to post something that's incorrect like that, I could get in so much trouble, but here's Bob Schmo and Billy Joe yeah. posting crazy shit about infinite banking that they have no fucking idea about. And I'm like, bitch, shut up. Like you're gonna get people in trouble. Like, thank you for sticking to mortgage underwriting. Yeah, yeah so it's funny. <laughs> I, had a com I had a conversation about that in the comment section with somebody the other day and they were, I posted something and um, so, somebody, I can't remember what exactly what the guy said, but he was like, um, something about most of these lenders, it wasn't shouting me, he was just talking in general. He's like, most of these lenders don't know what they're talking about or they're not as, because I, I, in, in, the, in the video I'd revert, I, I'd refer to realtors as like subject matter experts when it comes to real estate. And so he was like, oh, most of these people don't know what they're talking about. I was like, they, they may not, but the difference between them and, you know, gurus is that like like you said if they put out something wrong they're held accountable for putting out misinformation mm -hmm. if just a random dude that you know works at, not not dissing anybody's pressure but that just works at target like a manager at target is putting out mortgage information they're wrong who, who cares but there's like, no consequence yeah yeah so that's why these people at least have to be right or make their best effort to be to to be right is the the biggest difference difference there and so um let's put out this generic uh, um uh finance stuff and then one day I was like, huh, why don't I post something related to my industry? Like it just dawned on me like a month and a half later. So <laughs> I was putting out, so I, I, at, the, at that point I was getting maybe like 10 to 15 likes uh, per post. And I post, I remember the, the almost the exact post. So the, the post was, um, what, what did the post say? The post said, uh, okay, I, I forget, I forget, I'll paraphrase the post. It basically said that um, you look, Okay, I'm sorry. You gotta remember these types of things. This you gotta is, remember these types of things. It's your first content relevant post. This, this it's like your first dollar bill. I can't remember what the post said. It said it said essentially um oh I know oh, here we go. It said your $475 BMW payment is the reason you can't afford the home of your dreams, but you look fly driving back to your apartment though. And then so I broke down the underwriting process um in like the next and then in the next four slides. So that post got like 300 likes. One, because I, I think I was, I was a, little, a little sassy, for lack of a better term. <laughs> a little sassy. It, it was that, but it was like, there was actual content stuff for folks to break down. And so, and honestly, it was a, it was a genuine post. The reason I knew that that um, that exact payment was, is because I had a BMW um, 328i that was $495. Um, and so while I was in an apartment, Luckily, I had no other debt besides the BMW, and so I was able to get the home. And in, in hindsight, that could have killed like my my um, me buying a home when I moved here to Dallas, because I had no idea how that mortgage process worked. Um, I had no idea what my DCI was or anything like that. But that 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 post came from a genuine uh, place because it was about me, except for the fact mm -hmm. that actually I did I did purchase a home. Luckily, it didn't impact my my DCI. And so that that post got a lot of a lot of likes. So I was like, huh. What do you know? If you post stuff that you know about, it kind of gets traction. And, and like, I think still. I think that's a really important point because there's so much pressure to, 
especially when, like you said, Instagram hears us. So it shows us the content that we're visiting. And sometimes that content has nothing to do with what we do. The best advice I give to, I, in my, I have a lot of clients that have these nine to five jobs, but they're really talented at something else and they're doing it as their hobby. And I'm constantly pushing, I'm like, okay, instead of saving for retirement, how, or investing for retirement, why don't we invest for you to quit your job and turn this into a business? But the biggest thing that they fall pressure in, mainly when we start building that brand, right? While they're still working their nine to five, so they have you know a lot of their marketing already done by the time they leave, is stay in your own goddamn lane. <laughs> like stop trying to copy everything you see on the explore page. You're good at something, find a way to create content around that. I, I sometimes feel the pressure too, because I mean, there's so much, so many financial gurus. And sometimes their, their niches, you know, the NFT market or crypto market. And I'll be like, well, maybe I should post more about that, but why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's, I think that's really important. Coins and culture though, specifically, what, what does that mean? So, um, but, 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 so here's a long drawn out story. And so I'm going to fast forward to the part where I was like, oh, I should start posting um, about a bunch of um, mortgage stuff. And so, Previously, my um, handle was like two hour lunch break. And the reason for that was because I literally would take a two hour lunch break um, during, during work or like a 90 minute lunch break, but 90 minute lunch break didn't have, to have a ring to it. But uh, mm -hmm. no one really knew what that meant. Not that anyone knows what coins of culture meant either. But I was, I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to make this transition from this um, generic page to this mortgage page. I was like, I need a cool, catchy name. And I liked, um, I think the term was alliteration where you do, use the same letters twice. And so I was trying to think of names. So I was like, I was like mortgage, um, I was like mortgage man or something, something like that. <laughs> money and mortgage, I think it was like, yeah, money and mortgage was like, I was like, huh? Cause I was like, I don't want to, I was still like, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into talking just about mortgages. I, I wasn't ready to full commit. I was like, yeah, mortgages and money. Man, it's another name. And I was like, coins and culture. And I was like, yeah, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. I want to talk about money. Um, and I just want to talk about the culture. And so, if you go back, I know it's gonna do this, but if you go back all the way to like a year and a half ago, at the beginning of my page, what I used to do is I would post, I would post a quote, like a rap lyric or something like that. And then I would, the next post would be an informational post related to that lyric. And so th that's where the original concept of the page came from. Um, and so, I, I, and eventually I realized that I like the quotes way more than everybody else. And so like <laughs> the, the other posts were the ones that would get likes the quotes was like, eh. Cause, and once again, trying to be like other people, I was like, oh, let, let me post a bunch of motivational quotes. Um, and so, but instead just, you just use lyrics. So I was trying to, I was trying to be something that, that I, that I'd seen someone else do. And so like the informational content is just really what, what, what took place or what, what kind of, kind of took off. And so, um, yeah, it, it was, it was kind of like a generic name cause it wasn't fully ready to commit, but I just thought it, I just thought it had a, had a cool ring to it essentially. Um, no, I mean, I like it. It's catchy. Yeah, I'll probably yeah. never call you Dave. I'm just gonna keep calling you Coins and Culture. All right, all right, all right. Because yeah, that's that, that's how it works. Yeah, that, that that's essentially where how it came from. Was just um trying to find a, a cool name. I mean, I love it. Thanks. Is why don't you take a moment and describe exactly to people who don't know what underwriting is? Give them the the 30 second summary of what you do. Man, I'm I'm long winded, but I'll try to keep it under 30 seconds. So. I won't time you, but. All right. So essentially what an underwriter does is they, it seems pretty basic, but they approve your loan by evaluating your credit worthiness, um, your ability to repay debts. 
Um, they make sure you have the money to purchase the home and they evaluate the collateral. Um, and so real quick, a lot of times people think that like your loan officer or your lender is the one that um, helps approve the loan. They have no say on approval or denial of the loan. For approval or denial is super important. They can't deny your loan either. Your loan officer cannot deny your loan. Only an underwriter can, but your underwriter essentially approves or denies your loan by evaluating um, some things about you. Credit, money, and uh, the collateral. I didn't know that. That's that's interesting. I've actually never gone through that process. I mean, I'm not against it. I've just never had to do it. Okay, um, okay. Is how when you do you have you had a mortgage yet? Do you have a mortgage? Yeah, yeah. Do you, get, had, uh, do you get to approve your own? That can't be right. No, no. They, they, yeah, there's no way there'll be all sorts of um, uh, compliance stuff. But yeah, you can't you can't you can't um, approve your own your own loan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't even pull your own credit. But um, yeah, I've, I've had um, one, two, three. I've had four mortgages. And so another thing where I was like, huh, I can do a good job in this industry is because before I got to the, before I became a loan officer and then an underwriter, I had I had three two I had two mortgages. But I had no idea how the mortgage process worked or anything. Like I said, I didn't know my credit. Well, I knew my I knew my credit for one of those. Um, uh, I didn't know I didn't know DCI. I didn't know anything about the home buying process. And I was like, huh. Um, if I could do basic like uh, education to the person, follow up them, you know, take care of them, guide them through one process, I could probably do pretty good. Cause like I said, I have two two loans, and I don't even know, I couldn't even remember my loan officer's name or any conversation. <laughs> it was just like an email here, email there, and it was just like. Kind of figure out. Luckily, I had like a, I think I was like a, um, sort of like a dream client because I had like good credit and all that. So maybe they didn't feel they need to interact with me. But um, yeah, I was like, I, I had no idea how the loan process worked at all. Even though I've been through the process twice, so I was like, hey, if I can help educate folks, I can probably, um, um, you know, do 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 good in this business. What What's one way that the average person like me is underutilizing the relationship with you? Give me a scenario. The relationship with me personally or me an underwriter, what are you saying? As an underwriter. Um, so the the average person should should have um, will have no relationship with, with an underwriter at all. And the reason for that is because the, the underwriter is the underwriter's job is not to talk to the homeowner and you know get their feelings. They're just um, looking at the guidelines. Does this loan fit the guidelines? Yes or no. That's the underwriter's sole sole job. And so it's just just, just like a um, just like a robot, basically. And so um, th this is where like your, your loan officer comes in. So your loan officer's okay. job is to interpret the lending guidelines and to help you help when possible frame your story to the underwriter. Because again, the underwriter's job is just to look at the, the file and say, hey, this credit works. This is what I see in the credit profile. Thumbs up, thumbs down. And 90% of the time it's straightforward. But in that, that 10% um, area is where your loan officer needs to frame your profile so that the underwriter, so they're not leaving up to the interpretation of the underwriter. Because once it gets to the underwriter and they say, hey, this is what I think, it's hard to change the underwriter's mind because they're basing their opinion off of guidelines. But if the loan officer pitches a questionable file to the underwriter, you're, you're, you're going to kind of default to what the under, to what the loan officer says. Because like I said, as, long, as, a, as an underwriter, you don't care either way. So you're not trying to formulate a, a real hard stance um, if it's a if it's a gray area file. So you're, you'll probably take what the loan officer says at face value. So I would say make sure that you're communicating with your loan officer, being truthful, and interviewing your loan officer so that you know that they know what they're talking about. So if we get into one of those gray area situations, they can 
help help guide you through the, the process. Is a loan officer typically employed by the same person that the underwriter is employed by, or is it two different entities? Yeah, yeah, it is. So let, let's let's I'll just let's just walk through the the, the mortgage process. And so when it, the front the front end of the process for for mortgage lending is the the loan officer. The loan officer is a salesperson. Their job is to um, to say, hey, our company is so great. Because you can get a mortgage anywhere. But their company, their job is to say, hey, I'm so great. I'm going to take care of you. Our company is so great. We're going to do the best value. We have the fastest turn times, the best rates, blah, blah, blah. Their job is to pitch you on why their company is so great so th and that they can close your loan in time. So that you select, and I'm just going to say just Chase is their, their um, big company. Everyone knows Chase. Their job is to say why Chase is so good and why they can get you the best loan and close your loan at Chase. And so loan, your loan officer is a salesperson, salesperson, salesperson. What they should also know, but they all the time, a lot, most of them don't know, just to be honest with you, is they should have a good, very good understanding of the mortgage guidelines because they need to look at your file and say, one, uh, maybe we need to work on this or that here, or two, we need to frame this, this, um, this loan a little bit better um, to pitch to the underwriter, or maybe this is a better loan program for you um, based on the mortgage guidelines. So that, that's your loan officer's job is to basically say, hey, hey, this is your, uh, um, to get you to go with them. They they do an initial evaluation and they'll give what's called like a, a pre-approval letter. They're saying that, hey, this person is credit worthy based on what I've seen. Seeing they run it through like an automated system and then say, hey, this person can qualify for up to a $300,000 loan. And so once you're, once you, and then you go out and you shop for a home, you give the seller that this letter to say, hey, I'm approved for up to $300,000, so I can purchase you a $300,000 home. And so that's what your loan officer does. And then so once you're under contract, once again, because your loan officer cannot approve or deny a loan, once you're under contract, that's when you go to underwriting. And so your underwriter's job is to evaluate your credit to make sure you meet all the basic credit line guidelines and the lender's credit guidelines. They're, they're there to make sure that you have enough money to purchase the home and that your money is coming from a, a safe resource. They're there to make sure that you can pay back the loan, which is called looking at your debt to income ratio, your, your DTI. And they're there mm -hmm. to evaluate the collateral, um, which is the property to make sure that the, the, they don't do the appraisal, but they're evaluating the appraisal to make sure that um, this is a property that um, is, is lendable. And they're also making sure they evaluate the title report to make sure that there's no legal issues with the title. I always kind of give this, this example here. Um, and it's a thorough process. So I always say to folks when they they whine about paperwork, I say, hey, if a stranger came up to you and asked to borrow $300, would you say yes or no? You'd probably say no. Um, but if you were to loan them $300,000, imagine how much paperwork and how, mu how, how much documentation you would need from that stranger in order to lend them $300. Now take that $300, put a comma behind it and add three more zeros. We're at $300,000. So imagine how much research are you that your the mortgage lender and the underwriter is going to do um, as far as making sure that you're, you're credit worthy. So th that's what the underwriter does. They they dig into everything to make sure that um, you can you can pay back the loan. You know, believe it or not, a lot of folks think banks are big and evil, but the bank doesn't want to foreclose your home. They just want to sit back and collect the cost. I don't think banks are big and evil. I just think that our education system on educating people on this process, just like we're talking about, is yeah. has failed. Yeah, time yeah, and time yeah, yeah, again. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you don't don't lie about this until you apply for a mortgage. You still don't learn mm -hmm. about it. I, I still I'm still confused about it. So, the underwriter is so using your example with Chase Bank, loan officer, salesperson, not held to any specific standard, is not necessarily like how does it end on your desk? 
Are, do you have an existing relationship with that loan officer or Chase oh, yeah, Bank? Oh, yeah, sorry, I skipped over that original question. So, yeah, so, yeah, the, the, whole, the whole team works at the same company. So if you, and so if you, you apply with Chase, you're with a Chase loan officer, they get the file, they submit the underwriting, it, go, it goes through underwriting with Chase, it goes to closing at, at Chase. Okay. So, yeah, whatever company with the, the loan goes through the pipeline with that, with that company. Um, essentially, is, is, is uh, oh, did I, did I answer the question? Sorry. No, yeah, you did. So I guess I'm curious, Dave, how do you turn that into an entrepreneurial business model, right? Do you, how do you, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner of, I mean, does that even exist, an underwriting business that's a solo practitioner? Um, so I, I, I think, so, so you can't, to my knowledge, you can't be like a, a freelance um, underwriter. Um, you have to be, you have to work for some, some sort of company because there has to be some sort of like continuity between mm -hmm. the, the, the businesses. And it, it's hard. So the thing about underwriting is that there's regular guidelines. So if you get like a convention loan, there's basic, no, I'll give you, let's go with FHA. So with the FHA loan, they're basic FHA guidelines. So the FHA guidelines, let's talk about credit. FHA guidelines say that, hey, with, with a 500 credit score, if you put 10% down, you get an FHA loan. With the 580 credit score, you put down three and a half percent, you get an FHA loan. Those are what the FHA guidelines say. So every lender has to apply by those basic FHA guidelines. But a 500 credit score is a super low credit score. Um, something's gone. Something's gone wrong if you got a 500 credit score. And so lenders are typically like, "Hey, we're not going that low. We're going to put our, we're going to put overlays or additional guidelines on top." of whatever the FHA says. So the FHA says this is these are the minimum, but us at Chase, for example, we're gonna say, uh, we're not gonna let you go down to 500 to 580. We're gonna say that you can, we're only gonna allow you to go down to a 640. And we're gonna put additional guidelines on top of um, whatever the FHA says. And so you have to know that specific lender's guidelines. So I, I feel like you you have to be very, very smart to, to know the specific guidelines for each lender. Because um, the, the underwriter's job is to know the guidelines. I mean, they have to know the guidelines better than anybody else at the company. And to know the mortgage guidelines for a bunch of different lenders all at once um, seems like it'd be a very, very hard daunting hard task. Job. Yeah. And so, um, so for for me, my personal situation as far as kind of like um, building my brand and branding myself. So at the beginning of the, I think I said this. I'm, I'm like a super introvert. Like I'm not into. Um, to sell I like really have a hard time believing that because you're like you literally posted about I'm gonna go on 50 podcasts this year and now you're sitting here saying you're an introvert like what I, you have a whole brand yeah <laughs> I, I I am but like I, I like I like mortgages like that's one of the like I said that's the only sales job I could ever I could ever be into just because I, I like talking about the mortgage process for, for whatever reason and so um and so so like I said I used to be a loan officer but like I said I just hate like I said I I just hated talking to people so, so much. I was just like, um, after like four or five years, I was just like, man, this is like getting annoying. And it's like, you know, people, it's the biggest financial decision in people's lives, I understand, but people will call mm -hmm. you like on Saturdays, Sundays at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. about stuff that could clearly wait till the next morning. And I was just like, man. And so my wife was always like, yeah, you're, you're a pretty smart guy. You know, you know, you know like the, you, you, you want the people that are actually digging the guidelines. You understand guidelines and all this stuff. You're great numbers. Why don't you look at underwriting? She, she talked to me. She talked to me about that for like a solid year, and then about a year and a half ago, I was just like, "Yeah, why don't I, I do that?" And so with with COVID and all that, there were a bunch of you know work from home jobs, and so um, I, I applied to uh, to underwriting. Um, luckily, I got accepted. It's hard to even get 
um, accepted to underwriting job with, with no um, experience. One of those jobs was like, how do you even get in? Because you have to have like experience, but people don't want to hire anybody without experience. Um, but I ended up, luckily this, this company um, picked up the phone and was like, hey, um, you got a lot of loan offer experience, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what's what. And they interviewed me, they gave me some tests. And I, she was like, wow, we didn't we didn't think uh, um, this would work, but uh, I passed all the tests and guidelines and all that. And so um, I became an underwriter. And so, but I, ironically, since I've built my brand now, the way to make the most money off of it would be if I went back to a loan officer. Because right. on average, on it's average, sales. like, um, you probably make like three thousand dollars off of off of each loan, and so I got people that hit me up all the time, like, "Hey, can you, can you do a loan for me?" And, and can you that. do both? No, so um, no, no, you you can't because you have to like be a, it's like a, you have to be evaluating um, the file. So you, you can't like so the underwriter just like in a in a cell by themselves. They might as well just be in like a, a closet just looking at numbers and, and all that. And so um, yeah, their 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 job isn't to do anything to have any any communication with the the actual person buying the home for, for a bunch of reasons just to hey you should be thrilled what's that you should be thrilled as an introvert yeah oh yeah 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 i i <laughs> I, I am so it's great like i i wake up um at like six o'clock um you know i do some stuff in the morning i start my day at seven o'clock and i'm, I'm done by like 4 30 3 o'clock just because i get to kind of work my own schedule like as long as you get your files done it's it's, it's all good so yeah i don't i don't talk to any I mean, we have like a monthly call on Monday, but I don't talk to anyone at work. I don't even know my manager's phone number. I've never got a call <laughs> from anybody at work. Like, I don't, I don't know anyone's number at work. Um, You're like so like, happy about this. Like, my extroverted soul is dying inside. <laughs> yeah, to, to to the to the point that I actually had an emergency where I needed to miss work on Monday, and I didn't you even know like you didn't know who to tell to call. And so I hopped on Slack and I sent them a message, but I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be at work on Monday, sorry. Um, but yeah, I don't know I don't know anyone's number at work, so I just kind of do my own thing. Um, well, that's good to know for introverts that are that are watching but are, are fascinated with this process. I mean, obviously we're going to tag um, all of your social media, but this is sounds like a dream for a number-oriented introverted person. I mean, he compared it to just working in a dark closet if that sounds fun to you, here you have it. I know this was long-winded, but I, I'm truly curious about this process because the closest thing I've ever had uh, to to a major loan for purchasing a, a house is we did a securities-based line of credit on our investments that are in the stock market. And that is, uh, it's collateralized, which technically I guess so is a mortgage, but the process is like two weeks. They don't run a, a formal credit check. It was just like, um, it was a lot simpler, but that's not available to the average person because you have to have about $750,000 in investable assets to qualify for that, which is unfair because that's literally how the the rich stay rich. But this process is so undereducated that it's it's blows my mind. But that's why we're long-winded in the intro, guys. I apologize. I am curious on what your first failure is that you're okay. willing to share with everyone. Yeah, um, so, well, I don't know, my, my, my first failure ever, but I, I'd say, one, No, no, one no, that, not your first failure ever. The one that was most impactful, whether it's personal or professional. So I, I'd say for me, it was, it was a professional and personal failure. And so this was like my, um, so I kind of I jumped through my mortgage career, but I started at a small mortgage company. I was at Wells Fargo and so, I was in the company for a year. And so I ended up actually getting 
um, I guess you would say fired or let go from that job um, due to, due to, due to, I say performance. It was performance was outside of my control, but it was due to performance. And so, um, and I say it was outside of my control because, you know, my, my manager, he, he kind of talks to me, he's like, you know, reluctantly, we, we have to, to do this something with the numbers. And so I've been doing like, a, I've been doing like a good job. Like, so I was kind of building my brand um, and calling folks. And um, basically what happened was like, um, the first six months, I essentially did like nothing. It started out slow. I didn't have a branch. I was doing all stuff on my own. And like the last six months, I kind of picked up to where I was well above where I needed to be or well above the average loan officer. But I couldn't make up that that six month deficit. They look, they look back at a year and it's, they do their stuff weird at Wells Fargo. Um, it's like over the course of a year. So I was like in a hole. And so um, it was kind of a shock to me because I was like, I knew I was like in the hole, but I was like the last six months, I've been kind of like, kind of like killing it. So I thought it was all good. And so <laughs> I've been killing it. Yes, oh, maybe I wasn't killing them. I was doing, I was doing it right. And so the manager called me and was like, hey, you know, we have to, like, he got, we kind of have, have to let, let you go. And I was like, oh, man, oh, that, that, that sucks for me. And so, um, but he was like, hey, I can, if you still, you know, you know, I like your mosh or something going like that. And he was like, um, there was a, a, a lending manager that was previously at Wells Fargo that had gone, this is why I'm mentioning, like, the Chase, because I used to work at Chase, that uh, um, he's now works at Chase. Um, I can give you his number and I will give you a recommendation to go work with him if you if you want to. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But I, I was I was fired still. Um, and so I came. I, I think I was married. Yeah, I was married at the time. How so old were you? Home. What's that? How old were you? Um, so six years ago, 20, 29 ish, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Um, and then so. Uh, it, it was just super, it was super embarrassing. And I was like, huh, should I tell my wife I just got fired? I was like, nah, I'm gonna have this <laughs> job in about three weeks anyways. Um, nah, she I was like, oh, she, she usually goes to work before me, gets home after me anyways. I think I can just play this off until I get a new job. And so um, essentially like for two solid weeks, I just lied. Yeah, and I say lie and you know, admission of the truth is a lie. Essentially, you know, lied to my wife because I wasn't, I didn't go to work for two straight weeks. And I was like, my only job was to get to the mailbox before she got home to make sure I was getting- I'm amazed you got away with that for that long. Oh, here, here, here we go. So, um, um, unfortunately for me, unfortunately, my wife is like a, um, so she works in benefits. And so um, stuff that was coming in the mail that I had no idea what it was, she knew, she knew what it was. So like, um, um, people may know about, about Cobra. I had no idea what Cobra was. But I, I had gotten the documents from, from Wells Fargo. They were like, hey, you know, um, you, you've been let go. I got all the, the firing paperwork, I thought. And so um, she 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 came to the house one day and was like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was one of those things where it was like, I know you don't work there anymore, um, but I want to hear you tell me. I can't remember exactly how she said it to me. And I was like, uh, I kind of danced around. No, so. I, I sort of was, but like I said, I was more embarrassed um, that I didn't have a job. You know, you're supposed to be the provider of the house, as a, you know, um, you know, as, as a man, you're supposed to you know provide and all, and all this. And so I was just super embarrassed. And so um, I told my wife, I was like, you know, um, you know, I got got I got fired about two weeks ago, and she she of course she was upset, but like her her reaction to me was like like everything, because she was like she's like what what happened. And then so I kind of told her what happened and what the situation was. And like her, her, her reaction, okay, her, her reaction was like, like I said, it was, it was everything to me. She basically said to me, it was like, 
hey, I can't, you know, I can't hold you um, at fault for something that was outside of control. If you got fired for stealing, if you got, maybe feel back in the day, if I got fired for punching an employee in the face, like I almost did back in the day, if you got fired for that stealing or something like that, yeah, I'll be upset with you. I'll be pissed. You know, you, you lied to me um, the last couple of weeks, so we'll, we'll, we'll handle that. But um, she, she was just so, so like under understanding. And so we had been, um, we've been married at that point for, I think about a year. And so, you know, Ooh, a baby married, marriage. What's that? It's a baby marriage. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like at that point in your marriage where it's like, hey, um, everything's cool, but you never know, whether it's a friend or a wife. Hopefully, you're friends with your wife or your or your spouse, whatever, whoever, whatever your scenario is. Um, you never really know how things are going to go until something actually goes wrong. And so, I, with every relationship, I mean, there's certain deal breakers. Like to me, her like cheating is a deal breaker for us, and not for some people. Mm-hmm. But like, um, um, but and lying typically is. I guess it could be a deal breaker too. And so like, I didn't, at that point, like I was super embarrassed. I didn't know where our, our marriage was going to go from, from that point. And like, um, there was just a lot of stuff going on. And like her reaction, honestly, if it had been negative, it could have like, it could have like, it could have like broke me. Cause like, I was just in this horrible mental state. Like I said, you're, you're lying to your wife for like two straight weeks. Like it kind of, kind of wears on you. And she's like, you're coming home, how it's working. You're making up like a, a lie again and you're just it's just, just it was just you're living on. it turns into a lifestyle at that point yeah yeah and it was just it was just it was just wearing on me mentally and i, I think like i'm glad she found out because like even if even if because i i mean i at a certain point i, I had got the job and I, I had been accepted before for the new job before she she found out but like i'm glad she found out just from a um just from a transparency standpoint like i, I know i would have felt like like horrible um with that you know this three-week window where i was like lying to my wife um and then also it just it just showed me how great of a of a woman and a person she would because like i said if she and she'd have been justified for for reacting super negatively one one just for for the lying part i mean um she she'd been super justified in reacting super super negatively and like i said it could have honestly could have like could have like could have like broke me i don't know where things would have went in our relationship um between then because like i said i, I was 100 percent in the wrong but luckily she she reacted in a super positive way i think that made our relationship even stronger like i said i, I felt that i could i could tell her i get clearly i didn't think i could tell her anything because i didn't tell her i got let go from my job but i felt like for the most part like i could have pretty open conversations with her about what's going on and like um i had to find out about it that way but like i like i know like she has my back 100 like you know if i'm just if i'm doing the right thing and the wrong thing happens that that's what happens but you know um like i said she, she can't be mad at me for something that was kind of kind of out of my control see that, that was my, my my big failure was like i, said, I, I just kind of lied to my wife for for three straight weeks uh about my my employment and like luckily uh, this is all on her luckily she uh um reacted the way she did which um, um helped us helped us along the way so well, I think that's an important point, especially I'm happy we're talking about this now as, as we head into just just in your industry in general, my industry as well, as we head into this pre-bear market beginning of a recession. Um, what Looking back at that time, because part of this podcast is how do we give back to a community? How do we help other people learn from your fuck up? People are about to lose their jobs. Yeah. It's just the nature of it. It's we're going into a, con, a contractor, contractory, con, I struggle with that word, a contraction market. Yeah. People are going to start losing their jobs, especially in our industries. And this same scenario could easily play itself out. Looking back, how do you think you should have handled this differently? 
Oh, I was just come home and told my wife what happened. I mean, like I said, like I said, my my. But it's not that easy, Dave, because you're like you said, you're a man, you're a provider. There's ego involved here. Yeah, yeah, yes, but like um, sometimes you just gotta hurt the bandit off and just just say say what happens. So I, I always I give this example like um, went back when I was a, a loan officer. So you gotta deliver bad bad advice to folks. So like when someone was applying for a loan, I never I never gave them the hey how you doing how's it going the wind up. I would literally just call them and be like, as soon as they answer the phone, I'd be like, hey, unfortunately, um, your loan was declined. I would just put it right out there because one thing I hate is when. You can tell bad news is coming, but somebody's dancing and they don't want to say it. And it's, the longer you, the longer you wait to say it, the least likely you are to actually say it. So I think that's kind of how, what happened was like, I was like, hey, maybe I should tell her. And it's like, I'll tell her tomorrow. Um, and it's like, oh, it's it's Monday, it's Wednesday. I, I, I just tell her at the beginning of the week. Maybe I tell her on Friday. You know, that's when people get fired usually on Fridays. And that's Friday. <laughs> I'll I'll tell her Monday. And then it just it just spins like out of control. And so just. To me, it's just like, and I don't know why I didn't do it in that situation, but to me, bad news, you just gotta just put it out there. Like, um, just, 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 just throw it out there. No, um, no, I don't know what I can say. No, uh, um, lubricant, I just say, just, just throw, throw out the bad news out there. And, uh, I know, I like that one. That, that works. And, uh, do, just, just say it. So, um, and let, let the person react how they're going to react. You can't, you can't control anybody else reacts to it. Had you not gotten that job offer from your previous manager, would you have stayed in this industry? That is a, a great question. Um, I, know. I think probably, <laughs> I think probably, yeah, because like I said, I generally enjoy like what I what I do. Because like I said, I'm, I'm super introverted, but I'm able to like um, talk about stuff. Like, I don't know if you ever guys ever seen my Instagram, like I, I put out like like videos like every every week. Like I haven't even done like a static post, I don't think in like three or four months. I literally just put out videos on topics because I, I like I like talking, I like educating folks on um, the process. And so I, I think, I think I would have, um, I don't know if folks what the industry would have had me. Um, cause you're like, you've been in the industry for one year and you've been, you've been fired. So I don't know how that would have looked on a, on a resume, but, uh, um, yeah, I would have tried my best to stay in the, in the, in the industry just cause I, I, I enjoy, um, the exciting world of, uh, underwriting and mortgage guidelines. I, I want to, I want to go back to what you just said, because I was talking to this with my, with my tech guy before you got on we were looking at your Instagram and I was, I struggle just with how busy I am creating content of me talking. Like the one thing my marketing people keep telling me is you need more personal content. Like you need to be talking, not just like writing it and then having someone else put it together. How the fuck do you find the time to do that much shit? So, so once you start doing it, it's not as, it's not as time consuming as you, you think. Um, Bullshit. So, I spend way too much time doing it. So you just you just got so I, I think when I first started it, because you're trying to be you're trying to be perfect. You're just trying to be like, hey, yeah. put out this perfect blah blah blah. Um and so just start and so I, I know this because I'm making the content, but if you if you look at any of my posts where I'm not using a green screen, where I'm just giving a scenario, I'm only saying three things in every single post. I'm saying something to do with your credit, something to do with your DTI, or something to do with funds for down payment. Every single post is about the exact same thing. I'm just literally saying it a different way. Um, just, just I'm saying something about the credit first. Or I'm saying something about your 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 money first. I'm saying the exact same thing, just in a different way. I mean, I think if I really were to break it down, I think I have five posts, but I just I say this I say I say those five things like ten different ways, um, and so. Um, 
that, that that's one is you, you may be trying to trying to think too hard or I got to put out a, a 30 days worth of content. The other thing too is, and if we go back to, um, you know, uh, whoever um, the Google folks listening to whatever you have to say and Zuckerberg and all, and all them, um, and you start to see content that is based on your industry or what you talk about. So like my Google feed, for some, for some reason, Google feed has gone from just a blank white screen that says Google to all of a sudden there are news stories in there. I'm not sure what mm -hmm. Google decided to make that transition, but I always see mortgage um, articles um, in, in my Google, in my Google feed. So I'll click on the article and I'll, so I don't even read them to be honest with you. I'll just look at the headline and then I'll do a video responding to the headline. And so those do very well for a couple reasons, because I think what happens is, is one like Instagram can somehow like scan the headline and they can, they can tell, um, and somehow they're able to link to the people that have actually like read the article. Cause I always get like the most- Well, it's a Google image search. It's the same technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always get like the most interaction. It seems like on those posts where I'm like just talking about something like an article. Cause I think it somehow shows to people that have read the article and they, they, they everyone has their opinion. I, I pretty much never read the articles that I'm talking about. I just pointed the headline uh, and it does, it does a couple things. One, the headline is the most important part of a story because you know that, that engages people. So you already have a professional, professionally rated headline um, or topic to your video because I just pointed it, and so that catches people's eyes. And then I just I just talk about the article. So those get the most the most uh, engagement for whatever reason. Like my most viewed videos are just videos of me pointing at an article and then talking about it for for 30 seconds. And I, honestly, I don't even ever read the article. Sometimes I'll say in the video I didn't even read the article. Sometimes I just start talking. Um, but yeah, don't yeah. do that. Don't say you didn't read it. I mean. Like and don't do that to yourself. And I don't think he's doing himself, he's doing himself a disservice because he might be saying similar things in each video, but each video, I mean, I personally have bookmarked several of your videos. Like they, they're still adding massive value, which is most important to me. I don't want to post something that isn't valuable to someone. And I, that's what I admire about your content, that it's one, super fucking consistent. Like I'm envious at how consistent you are, but it always is knowledge like it's it straight up helps people oh thank you and then here, here's here's another thing about just starting and putting out content and so let, let's say you put out um so i usually do three videos a day now i do two videos a day because it became like how how does he do that like do you hear him i usually do three videos a day like but what? so look so here's the thing so let's say there's 30 days in a month let's say you don't post that much i don't know say so you take sundays off um so what is that i don't know let's run to say that there's, there's 50 30 i don't know let's, so let's say you make 50 posts a month <laughs> Um, once you do that for two straight months, now you have a hundred posts like in your in your arsenal. And so ten of those, ten percent of those posts typically will like will like do do very well. So now you have now out of those hundred posts, you know, you have ten posts that do very, very, very well. And so um I just post those videos again. Like every two or three months, I'll post like oh. the same the same videos that that hit. Like I have videos that um I posted like four or five I posted like four or five times so far, and every time I post them, I know they're going to do do numbers, um, and they 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 do better and better each time. Because one, you know, Instagram doesn't show your stuff to everybody, um, even even your followers. So sometimes followers haven't seen your same followers have not for whatever reason didn't see the video, um, or they maybe saw it and they thought it was cool and they just like it again. I've seen I, I know some videos that I know that I post a lot. Some people will make the same general comments under them from the last time I posted them. So I was like, I know they remember the post, but uh, but once you kind of have that, that kitty or this, this war chest of all these these videos, one, whenever you're you're tired and you can't think of a video to post, 
I'll just scroll back through my feed and I'll just find a post from like two, three months ago. I was like, oh, this did relatively well. And I'll just repost it again. And so that's that, dope. That, that's good advice. Yeah. That, so that's one of the benefits you just bunker, bunkering down, hunkering down, whatever the term is for like a solid month and just putting out like 50 pieces of original content is that you can just repost them again in three months. And if you do it for a year, now it's, you, you have like a month worth of content that you can just repurpose. And it just, it just, you know, it, the snowball thing, you know, uh, um, a compound interest, you know, it just starts to build and build and build. You just got more and more content just to, to, to repurpose. And sometimes I'll, I'll shoot this, a similar video again. Like I'll just do it in a different location. Um, if it, if it would do very well, like from, from like three weeks ago and I'm, I can't think of anything, I'll be like, I'm just going to shoot that. I'm just going to reshoot that same video I did three weeks ago. Um, and just have a different shirt on or do it in a different location or something like that. And, uh, and just rephrase it a little bit, but, um, yeah, just, just, just starting is the, is the hardest part. But once you get that stuff under your belt, it's, um, see right there, you just got so passionate about that. Uh, like that, that was, that was cool to see. Um, how important to your personal happiness, your personal utility is the brand that you're working on right now, the content on Instagram and YouTube that you're doing right now? Um, so on, on a scale of uh, zero to my wife being the most important thing, um, being a 10, it's, it's probably like a, it's probably like a nine point Damn. eight. And it's important to me because the more, the more time I build this, this brand and and am able to build the brand and make it to hopefully, you know, like a business is is the more time I can eventually step away from my actual job yes. um, and spend, you know, spend more time with, with my, my wife. Because I think that that's the reason that's the reason we, we work in areas to provide for our families. But, you know, we go to work and, you know, ironically spend, you know, uh, what, nine hours, eight hours away from our family. Uh, luckily, me and my wife both work from home. But, you, you know, back in the day, I was spending, you know, with with traffic, I spent 10 hours away from my wife to make money so I can enjoy life with my wife, ironically. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's just, you know, more time to, to hang out with my, my family. So that, that's why I'm kind of dedicated or focused on kind of um, building building the brown Instagram. I got a, got the podcast, got my, my YouTube going. I even started a, a cleaning business like a couple couple uh, weeks no, ago. No, you didn't. So if you're if you're in Dallas, uh, hit me hit me up. I can uh, I can help you out. We're in Houston. What's up? If you can make if you make that drive, you can head down to Houston. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I got. I, I hire people to, to do that. So it's kind of like an Airbnb thing for the the, the cleaner. So. Um, yeah, it's I'm, it's super dope though. Like, look at look at his merch. Show your merch. Like, this is a his hoodie. Yeah. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's so got, got the hat. Yeah, yeah. Got got some got some merch. My it's my other thing is like if you're gonna wear some, like, I don't know. I'm not big on brands, but if like I'm gonna, I made a decision like about a year ago, which is like if I'm gonna wear um something, it's gonna be my brand or a blank T-shirt. And so um I pretty much only wear um like my clothing. This is a hoodie right now, so I do need to get some some stuff for the summer. <laughs> yeah, you're in Dallas. It's about to get hella hot. Oh, it's, it's hot right now. Who do now. you use? Like, I'm, Who I'm, do you use for your merch? I'm sweating right now. Um, oh, I'm sweating too. It's all these um, lights. So I do Printful. Um, so it's cool because you don't need to have any any inventory. But like they, um, it's like a print on, de on demand thing. And so like if somebody orders Printful. a product, they print it for you. And so I mean, they so they do everything, the printing, the warehousing, the shipping and all that. So they, they do take a lion's share of the of the um, of the price. I think they take almost like 60 Somewhere between six yeah, I was gonna ask, what's a line share? Yeah, but it's just like the other option is to, for me to have a, a garage full of hoodies 
in a bunch of different sizes. I don't know when they're going to sell. I don't know how many are going to sell. And so um, to me, that that's a good way to start until you have like an established brand where you like, no, hey, I know um, every November I'm going to sell 500 hoodies. So I know to order 300 largest, 100 mediums, 50. But until you get to that point, to me, it makes to me to me it makes it makes sense because you don't want to have a bunch of um, spend a bunch of money on hoodies that you don't even know they're going to want to sell. So. We're just giving them out at parties. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. I want you to describe who you are using three adjectives. Uh, entrepreneurial. Um, For sure. Dedicated. Um, that didn't sound convincing at all. <laughs> dedicated. That, that's it. That seemed kind of generic. Okay, let me throw it out the window. I think I'm. I think I'm a uh, ingenuitive. Uh, and I think I'm persistent. Ooh, so yeah, let's go with those three. Entrepreneur, did I say entrepreneur? I don't know what I said first, but entrepreneurial, ingenuitive, and um, I forgot what I said, but let's say tenacious. Uh, yeah. Ooh, you just switched it. You just switched it. <laughs> I forgot what I said. Tena well, they were synonyms. You said persistent and tenacious. Yeah, they, tenacious they is one of my favorite words, so yeah. I'll go with that. Can people reach out to you? Are you cool with that, Dave, Steve, David? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's all it's all good. Yeah, you can find me on on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is is coins and culture. The word coins, letter N, the word culture, all one word. Um, if you wanna if you wanna schedule a consultation with me, you can click one in the bio. Um, do it ASAP because I I keep meaning to to raise the price of the consultation. Just booking up to the point that people don't book it. It's too it's too low. Because um, like I said, I'm super introverted. It, it's weird. Like um. Right before every consultation, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. And then, of course, nothing happens, it goes, it goes fine. But I don't know why I freak out before every consultation. It's because you haven't done it enough yet. I, I, it's like this podcast. I, when I first started it, I was so nervous. But then now I, do, I don't even read the answers. To, like I sat down and I printed down your questions. I was like, oh, by the way, a lot of spelling errors in how you answered these questions. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Like the, the question was, I make when people schedule to do the podcast, there's like four generic questions that like I'm going to loosely base the conversation around, which clearly we did not follow at all today. Uh -huh. But it helps you guys sort through your thoughts. What made you choose the career path you're currently in? Dave, David, Steven goes mortgage underwriting. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I was like, okay, this is either going to go really well or really bad, but we're just going to wing it. But um, thank you so much for coming. It's really cool when I have people that don't know me personally come on because it's really just like, it's what's going to happen is what's going to happen. So I hope you had fun and I'm yeah. glad you glad you showed up. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was, it was cool. And so um, hopefully this audio was fine. I didn't realize my microphone was behind my, uh, my computer. Until, uh, it wasn't terrible. <laughs> 15 minutes ago. Bye. Bye, baby. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I, I, I had fun. It was, it was a, um, a great interview. I had, I had fun. I was just super nervous. I get nervous all the time. Well, you're doing like two a month, three a month, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> it's, um, half an hour before this, I get a whole job discussion. No, you didn't. It's, it's, eight, it's 840 local here, and I'm not even <laughs> <gasps> Okay, Dave, David, Steve. I was like, that was a horrible schedule. I'm going to let you go eat and I'll catch you on the gram and I'll make sure to tag you and everything uh, in this posting again. Thank you so much. Okay. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me.
And that's another episode of Failure Friday. So glad you guys could join us. We're going to make sure we tag uh, all of Dave's stuff in the bio as well as the beer that I'm drinking because it's delicious. And I hope to see you guys next week. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you.